Hi everybody, uh, it's Todd. Um, I thought tonight, just for a little added change, I do. Uh, I thought I'd do chapters four and five of uh, the dragons for tonight. Kind of mix it up a little bit and do a little, you know, maybe add a little, little more to it. Um, dragons, as I said before, was a novella I wrote, uh, 2013. And uh, never really did anything more with it, and I thought, yeah, it'd be kind of fun to, to put out there in a podcast, so here it is. Uh, Dragons, Chapter 4 and 5. Standing at the podium overlooking my classmates and their families, I could see strange people shifting through the crowds. I finished my speech and left using the stage, and then turned immediate right as I left. I ducked behind it and ran to the dorm building as fast as I could, knowing I was going to make a run starting after the graduation ceremony, and I was ready. I had everything packed. Throwing off my robes, I ran down the hallway, and I could hear somebody running behind me as I turned down the hall to where my room was. I looked back to see a tall woman chasing me. She was smiling at me. I could see the the door to my room. So I ran past the door to Jack's room and slammed it. The night before, Lisa had talked me into placing my backpack in Jack's room, along with all my banking paperwork, my burner phone, and whatnot. At the time, I thought she was just making sure I didn't leave before the graduation. So I grabbed my things as fast as I could and then opened the window and started my escape. I just let go of the windowsill when I heard the door to Jack's room bust open. As I ran for the area where the cars were parked, I turned and saw the woman who had been chasing me with another man standing in the window. She wasn't smiling any longer. I had wanted to steal the SUV my security team used to take me to town and back, but Jack said it would have a GPS unit in it and that would allow my team to find me faster. So I decided to take Mr. Craig's car. The students and I laughed at his car. It was an older Citroen, but it was reliable, and he never took the keys out of the ignition. And before I knew it, I was driving through the gates of the school in an old Citroen onto a road, making me a car thief. Four miles out of town, I came to my first major decision. The road split. I could use 921, Route 921, heading south, and the other was 922, and it headed deeper into the mountains. Before I knew why, I was rolling down Route 922, heading deeper into the Pyrenees Mountains. I had a new burner phone showing me the way using Google Maps. I really like Google Maps. I drove into the night. I could have made better time driving faster than the posted speed limit. However, I didn't want to deal with the police. I knew by now my father would have been updated by my security team, and they are, by this time, hunting me down. So getting pulled over by the police was the last thing I needed. I knew where I was going. I also knew this road ended at a parking lot for people who just wanted to explore that part of the Pyrenees Mountains. From that parking lot, it was only 45 miles into Spain. It was going to be a hard climb over hard terrain, Eh, but I knew I could do it. I was young and in good shape. So with my sights set on getting over the mountains and into Spain, I drove off into the night. The moon was high in the sky when I reached the end of the road. As I parked the car, I realized how large my task ahead of me was going to be. 
I knew if I stood there too long, I could talk myself out of the plan, that, and that indecision would cost me time, and that lost time would mean my lost life. By this time, my mother and father were frantic, and they weren't worried about me. They were more worried I would get hurt in the mountains, or dead. They were worried if I fell, I'd kill myself, thus breaking the contract with my ancestor had set up and had begged for all those years past. They both knew if I died, my father's heart would have to take my place, and the family would lose everything. So, I could imagine how the conversation went when John, the leader of my security team, called to tell my mother and father I'd gone missing, and from what they could tell, I'd stolen a car and run away. I was young then, well, younger then. I never thought about any wildlife which could harm me, as I jogged into the mountains that held the border between France and Spain in them. I knew I wanted to get to Barcelona. From there, I could go anywhere in the world if I could book passage on a ship. The first night, I kept moving the whole night. I never realized I had climbed two passes and was in the valley of my third when the sun started to light the peaks of the mountains. My second day I slept under an overhang. It was cool in the shade, but I had a stream fed by snow melt, so the water was cool and clear. As I woke, I heard others nearby. They sounded German. I stayed hidden under my overhang, not wanting anyone to see me. For three days I climbed by the light of the moon, slept under cliffs or boulders. Early into the fourth day of my run for freedom, I'd walked out of the mountains onto a road. Well, I knew I was in Spain when I came to the first sign of the nearest town, and I desperately wanted a hot shower and a soft bed, but I didn't want to stop yet, so I found a cafe that was open all night and asked for a bus stop. Lisa was a lot craftier than either Jack or I had given her credit for. Her security detail stood by as John asked her if she knew where I was going, knew I was going to run away, if she knew anything. She looked at him and told John she was mad at me for leaving before our prom. She acted like the spoiled rich kid the team expected. When they realized she wouldn't be of any help, they just ignored her and headed out. By this time, they knew what car to look for, and they had surmised I would try to get into Spain. It never occurred to my security team, or my family, that I would hike over the mountains into Spain. They had alerted Spanish Immigration Customs to watch for me. So, after three and a half days later, I walked out of the, over the border into the first town, bought a bus ticket to Barcelona. Nobody the wiser. It took me a total of five days to reach Barcelona. It had taken me another two to find a ship's captain who was willing to take a young man anywhere and the ship was going. When the older aunt man asked why I was out in the world, I told the truth. I told him I had just graduated and wanted to see the world before my young life ended. When the captain became concerned and asked if I was ill, I smiled and told him it was a figure of speech. I told him it was my generation's way of saying before my father makes me join the family business. Well, the captain smiled, patted me on the shoulder and said, It's good for a young man to see the world, to know how things work out there. He waved his arm towards the ocean, so my real education started. I was a paying passenger, and as such, I wasn't expected to work. But I would lend a hand on the deck once in a while. 
Mostly I helped with securing sea containers and if some ropes needed to be tidied up, stuff like that. It kept me busy and the deckhand seemed to help me like me helping. It had taken a few days for the crew to warm up to a rich kid on their ship. I would sit and listen to the men talk to each other as the ship rode the endless waves that trotted around the world. One of the men found me doing push-ups on the deck one day. He asked if I wanted to work out with him and two of his friends. That night, I started learning jujitsu. The three men on the ship were great teachers, and they taught me every night. The captain started sitting in on our sessions, and before long, we had a friendship. The trip across the Mediterranean was nice, the seas were calm, the winds fair, so before I knew it, the port of Sayed was gliding past us on our way to the Suez Canal. The captain explained we would be traveling through the canal and eventually reaching Arabia, the sea. And then, from there, we were bound for Japan. I knew my father was searching the world for me as I stood at the railing of the ship, and I wondered how far the security team has gotten. Had they found my trail through the mountains? And if they did, do they know I went to Barcelona? Do they know I boarded the ship? Then I thought about the woman and the others who had been around the school before I had taken off. I knew they had something to do with my family, but I just couldn't think of what for now. That's the end of chapter four and five, folks. I, uh, I think I'm just going to carry right on. His team had found where I had left the car. My former security team leader tried to tell my father he thought I would be hiking in the mountains. My father being the man he is, and that he would never be caught hiking, his ego wouldn't let him think his son could or would do something he couldn't. So, after John informed my father that my father really didn't know his son as well as he thought, my father fired him. When Lisa had heard of this, she hurriedly called her dad and asked if she could have John as her security team leader. It took over a month, and I was happy for the time for our ship to reach Japan. I stood at the deck of the, on the deck of the ship thanking the captain and crew for allowing me to travel with them. Then I turned and walked down the gangway and out of the port. I found a cab and asked the driver to take me to a youth hostel, if he knew of one. The driver smiled. We drove off through Tokyo. He dropped me off at the hostel, and when he did, I stood astounded by the city of Tokyo. I knew I was going to have help, to have to have help trying to keep ahead of my family. I still wanted to keep in touch with Lisa and Jack, but I couldn't put them at risk. In my young mind, I thought I could find a place where I could learn to fight and hide. I knew I had money to pay for my time here, as long as I stayed out of places that wanted a credit card. I found a youth hostel for young travelers and booked a room for a week. I paid cash up front and started to explore the Shinto shrines around Tokyo. After a week of trying to find a place where they would still accept a young man and to protect him in secret, an old man whose back had been bent from years of hard labor took my arm and smiled up at me. He led me to a table where he sat and waited for me to pour him a small cup of tea. He said to me, you ask many questions. Someone listens and has agreed to teach you. But you cannot stay here, not in this city. The old man told me as he sipped his tea and handed me a piece of paper. Then he stood, shuffled off, smiling. 
Sitting, I looked at the piece of paper I was handed, then I looked around to see if anyone had taken interest in myself or the old man. That day I went back to the hostel, packed my belongings, booked my ticket on the train to the island of Shikotan. The paper held the name of the island along with the name of a man who I was told to ask for when I stepped off the ferry. As I walked to the train station, I felt that I had been just ahead of my family and the others who had been at my school. My birthday had come and passed, and if I had known I'd placed my family, especially my father in harm's way, it wouldn't have made a difference to me. Not at this point. I had realized I truly had no use for my family. And if truth be told, the only ones I recognized as family were just leaving the school in France to go home. Sitting on the train, I watched the landscape of the Honshu, the largest island of the Japanese island, blur past my window. Before I left Tokyo, I bought five more disposable cell phones. I knew in the Japanese culture it was bad manners to talk loudly on a phone. It was the ultimate insult to those around you if you had your phone on speaker while taking a call. Knowing this, I looked around at the other passengers and found a quiet spot out of the way where I could call Lisa. Where are you? No, wait, don't tell me. Are you safe? She asked before I could even tell her who was calling. Smiling, I told her, I'm safe. How did things go? What do you know and who was calling? I've changed phones, house Jack and the others. I was asking her, trying to keep the news, especially where it came from my mother and father would be doing away from me. Then it finally broke down and I asked her. Well, your mother and father came to the school and had a special security team go through your room. They wanted to search my room and Jack's, but my father was here and put a stop to it. I thought it was going to come to blows at one point. That's when John, my new head of security, stepped in and informed your father that he had no rights nor authority to search anything other than your room. I thought he was going to explode when the security team leader eased your father back and they stormed off. I was wondering how far they had gotten on my trail. If they knew I made it out of Spain, I asked, hoping she, she would know. Hang on, Jack. Hang on. Jack wants to talk to you. Hey, brother, how about how far they gotten? Well, they know you crossed into Spain over the mountains. Yeah, very cool, I might add. Very cool. They found where you bought the bus ticket, but after that they've come up with a big fat zero. They say it's as if you've dropped off the face of the earth. When Jack finished with his news, I could hear Lisa tell him to give her the phone back, and I smiled as I listened to the two of them banter back and forth. At the same time, I could feel the tears start to burn my eyes. God damn, my mother and father, this was supposed to be the best part of my life. Not the part where I'm on my own trying to survive. Uh, Rod, listen, Jack and I are going to be home tomorrow. Don't call from this phone again. Do you remember the first year we came to this school? Yes, I remember. What of it? Do you remember our first mathematics teacher? Do you remember our first mathematic teacher? She asked. But in our first year, we didn't take mathematics. I was about to remind Lisa that we didn't take that course in our first year. When she said, her and Jack loved me and hung up leaving me listen to the buzz of a deadline. Standing, looking at the phone, I thought about the word mathematics. Then it hit me. It's a cipher. 
the code. At least I thought it was. So I sat down and wrote the alphabet down and matched each letter with the number that came up with 1312-085-1312 extension 9319. Looking at the number, I wondered if I should call it or if I should wait. Before I realized that I had dialed the number and sat listening to the ring on the other end. Rod, I'm glad you called, Lisa Father said as he answered. Now this is going to be short and you need to listen, okay? Uh, yes, sir, I answered. If you can find your way to a small island in Japan, in the Japanese archipelago called Shigdokan, I have a very special friend who lives there. He will teach a young man in your situation all he needs to know. He will be waiting for you, so hurry. And after this call, this number will be out of service. You can never call it again or use that phone. Good luck, son. Lisa's father said, and he ended the call. I was going to tell Lisa's dad that I had already in Japan, and I never had a chance. So I was on a train, already heading to the island, and all this seemed to be good luck for me. It turns out his friend was looking for me. They knew what was coming. Looking around, I had an uneasy feeling about the ferry ride over to the small island. A small elderly man came by and looked as I at the seat I occupied. Being good-mannered, I smiled and stood offering the elderly gentleman my seat. A man who was sitting behind me looked annoyed that I moved, so I decided some fresh air would be nice. Walking out onto the deck, I watched for a man to see if he had followed me or if he was just having a bad day. I never saw the man until we docked and we started to leave the ferry. I saw the annoyed man again, this time he was talking to another and they both turned to look at me. It was then I thought I had been found. Just when I was about to try and run, a small cool hand clasped mine. In shock, I looked down to see an old lady holding my hand and she smiled up at me. Not knowing what to do, I smiled back and let her beat us off the ferry. The two men watched and looked at their phones. I was starting to get nervous. I think the old lady could feel this, and she pulled me to a stop, and a voice stronger than I could have thought possible for a person her size, she told me, Do not let them see your fear. It is what they want. If you run now, they know they have you. Just walk with me. We are safe. Your friends have made sure we will make it home. When she finished talking, I looked back over my shoulder and I could see her, see one of the men falling in step behind us. I did my best to let them know he didn't bother me. That's when I saw his eyes for the first time. His eyes were yellow and the pupil was oval, like a cat's. I could see that what I was seeing was nothing more than a cover-up, a mask trying to hide what he really was. To this day, I don't know what came over me that day, but before I could stop myself, I winked at the creature who was following us, and it seemed my lack of fear infuriated the beast, and it let out a sound that was between a low growl and a hiss. Turning, I could see the second thing from the ferry standing in the middle of the crowd. It was trying to block our path, and I smiled and turned to the old lady. Ma'am, these things are here for me, and I don't want you to get hurt. You must leave me. I'll be all right, I promise. I said as I tried to take my hand back, Oh, I know they are here for you. 
but so am I, and I found you first, so they are going to have to wait. Now you come with me. As she said it, she pulled me into a shop. The young woman who was working behind the counter smiled and moved to close the door when the creature followed us. Following us, tried to force it its way in. Turning, I watched the girl pull the sword from the umbrella rack and drove it into the thing's chest. Dark purple blood ran from the wound as it staggered back, seeming surprised to see the color of its own blood. Looking down at the weathered, smiling face of the older lady, who had saved my life, I never saw any concern in her eyes. Who was she, I asked, still moving through the crowd. She is one who sees the truth of how most of the richest families in the world have come to be. My guide answered, as she led the way through the crowds. Before I realized where I was, my guide had left the shop and into the crowd and entered a forest. Turning, I could see the creature who had been stabbed being helped up by the second one standing on the edge of the forest. For some reason, they wouldn't or couldn't enter the forest. So being myself, I turned, raised my hand, and waved to them. Then I looked at my guide, and she was mimicking me. And she was also waving. Now come, we are almost home, and here you will learn all you need to know to survive your curse. Well, that's that, folks. Uh, that's the end of chapter. We're starting with chapter 7. <clears throat> I'll do that, well, I guess, Thursday night. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.